Welcome to another episode of the Sports Ethos Dallas Mavericks podcast. I'm your host, Lawrence Brooks. I'm here with my co-host, Corbin Ford, back to basically talk about what happened in this Mavericks game. Um, you know, everyone that watched know that the Mavericks went down 0-1. Um, score was 121-114. But I think there's reason for optimism. So we're going to try not to panic too much during this episode. Corbin, how are you? I'm doing good, bro. I can't come. I mean, aside from the Mavericks uh, loss, I really can't complain. You know, um, just doing fine, man. Arizona Heat's crazy, by the way. But uh, it's as hot as the Suns were last night. Woo, woo. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, before we get going, let me just let you guys know that it is pre-draft season. And here at Sports Ethos, the pre-draft season has already begun. Our, our expert analysis are churning out important lessons learned and draft analysis on incoming rookies so you can get a jump on your prep. And we'll have incredible free agency and summer league coverages as well. But only if you're part of our premium member team. Head to sportsethos.com now and click on the premium tab to grab a fantasy pass today. Seriously, you guys, get yourself this because it's something you won't want to miss out on. We're all trying to win, so get ahead of the competition because it's only $5.99. Please go out, get that, handle that. These guys do an incredible job. It's only going to make you better. That being said, talking about this Mavericks game. So here's my deal, Corbin. I think the easy thing would be to say that the contributors have to contribute. I mean, obviously. But for me, when you look at the Phoenix Suns and you look at all the balanced scoring, something that has been obviously they've been doing this all season and in the postseason. So this is not an outlier for them. And I look at the Mavericks. And you know that Jalen Brunson has to be damn near what he was in the previous series. They need more from Spencer Dinwiddie because, again, we we talked about how much he has made us kind of eat crow after the trade because we were both kind of up in the air on whether or not this was good for him or good for them, so to speak. And, you know, for all that was said in the playoffs, you have gotten bigger numbers from a guy like Kristaps Porzingis. And so they kind of need him to step up. Can we get the Dallas Mavericks to have a more balanced attack and guys have a more elevated role and contribute on a nightly basis the way that the, the Phoenix Suns guys are contributing? Are, are the Dallas Mavericks able to get that? I mean, quite frankly, Lawrence, if they want to have a hope in this series, they're going to have to. You know what I mean? Um, Spencer Dinwiddie and Jalen Brunson definitely uh, have to improve their level of play and just hope they can do that. Both guys were kind of flummoxed. I think Brunson was 6-16. And then um, meanwhile, I think it was um, Spencer Dinwiddie was 8-8. Uh, both those guys just had a hard time kind of creating space, finding rhythm in their jumper and really getting free. And also understanding that this Phoenix Suns team, we talked about this uh, kind of in our preview of this series defensively is night and day uh, when compared to the Utah Jazz, particularly on the perimeter front. So a lot of these guys didn't have to work too hard getting past, you know, uh, a slower Mike Conley and a defensively uh, inept Donovan Mitchell. But now you are facing more of these bigger wings who are a lot better in Monty Williams' defensive system, as well as guards in Chris Paul and Devin Booker, who are pretty solid on that end as well. So, I think they have to. We saw Max Kleber kind of step up a little bit. Uh, he was the second leading scorer for Dallas, which isn't saying much when he had 19 and Luka had 45. But at the same time, I mean, 
Spencer Dinwiddie and, and to a much higher degree, Jalen Brunson are looked at as more of your secondary uh, scores for this Maverick squad. So, yeah, I think it's imperative that they step up, Lawrence. I don't even know if it's a matter of if they can, but just when um, to come up and do this. Yeah, and I mean, they're, they're guys with pride and they're guys who are, are hyper-competitive. So I definitely plan to see them respond accordingly. Not to mention, I don't think Phoenix will shoot I mean, they were ghost pepper hot last night. I mean, I know they, they've shot in over 50%, you know, for the majority of this uh, playoff run. They lead the league in field goal percentage. A lot of that does is due to the fact that they have two guys that are elite in the mid-range area. And then you got a, a rim finisher in DeAndre Aiden. And that's a lot to overcome. And so for me, I think about what can they do to kind of offset what the Phoenix Suns are going to bring to them on the offensive end. And it's going to be really tough to slow them down necessarily. And so one, I think Jalen Brunson, he was able to have his way in the mid, in the mid range in the first series, this series, he might have to take more threes, which means he's going to have to make more threes. Now you got a good game from Maxi Kleba, but you're going to need good games from Spencer Dinwiddie and Jalen Brunson at all times. That being said, do you see anything that they can take away from the Phoenix Suns on the offensive end? Because I thought about, well, what if they, what if they just turn DeAndre Ayton into the biggest scorer on the team? Like make him have to have to score all the points. That might not be what Phoenix wants to do, but I feel like Chris Paul is such a surgical leader that he will make them pay. If that's what you want to do, they will continue to go to it and he won't deviate from the plan. And that might hurt too, because a lot of times, you know, human error gets in the way and a lot of these teams won't stick to the script and they'll want to go back to what they're doing. Chris Paul's not necessarily like that. Do you see something they can take away from Phoenix that could possibly help on the defensive end? Man, it wasn't a whole lot to look forward to in trying to figure that out, um, Lawrence. I think that one thing they did uh, relatively decently was hedging uh, Paul and Booker pick and rolls and recovering pretty decently in that situation. Uh, the Suns, though, still scored 96 points through three quarters on that. Like, uh, I think ideally you just hope that there's a regression to the mean. I mean, Phoenix scored 32 points from mid-range. You know, Chris Paul's going to live down there. You know, Devin Booker likes it as well. But you have to hope that even though that shot is a is a shot that's efficient for them, it's an inefficient shot overall. So you have to hope for some regression for the mean because you did not see a lot of that yesterday. Um, they knocked down all their shots there. So I think defensively, you know, um, maybe making sure that you are um, slowing the game down on that end, you know, for maybe picking up Paul early. We saw – the Pelicans do that with some success in the first round against Phoenix, so forcing him to take more time with the clock to get the Suns into their offensive sets. If nothing else, um, one weakness for Phoenix does seem that if it's not Pollard or Booker, there's a steep drop-off after that in terms of playmaking for this team. So if you can find a way to kind of slow them down, force Phoenix to play more of a grinded-out game, you might have a chance there. Um, in addition to hopefully making them take more inefficient shots that they might find comfortable, but in the long run will prove beneficial for the Mavericks. Outside of that, it's an uphill battle, y'all. This this Suns team didn't win 64 games for nothing, you know? Yeah, and that's a good point. I think what it's going to come down to is getting, getting timely stops, but being able to keep up scoring-wise. And so... Um, much like we've already emphasized with Spencer Dinwiddie and Jalen Brunson um, coming to the party, 
you got the big Maxi Kleber game. Um, unfortunately, he's going to have to keep that up because he, he had a couple of high games in, in the series against Utah. Then he kind of tailed back off in games um, five and six. But he's going to have to keep this pace up. And they're probably going to have to play more small ball because with Dwight Powell on the floor, it just enables De, um, DeAndre Ayton to roam around the basket as opposed to when they go five out with their um, kind of their little pseudo death lineup with Finney Smith at the at the five. And then you're playing the three guards and then you got Reggie Bullock on the floor. They were able to spread the floor out and get a little bit more um, opportunity to the basket and more opportunities from the three-point line and make DeAndre Aiden have to play out on the perimeter. But with that being said, do you think that offensively they can do a little more of that? Do you think that they should stick with the small ball lineup, although it's going to burn them on the defensive end? Um, no pun intended with it being the Phoenix Suns. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, you know that DeAndre Aiden will probably feast on the, on the, other, on the other end but I think with them keeping the floor spread, because they won't be able to do as much matchup hunting as they did against Utah, who had a turnstile of defenders out there that you can pick from. Um, this In this series, not so much. I think keeping the ball moving and making this defense rotate will be the best, but that small ball lineup might be the way to go, and Dwight Powell might end up playing himself off the floor. How do you see it going for them on the offensive end? Yeah, I mean, honestly, that would be interesting. You, you kind of mentioned how the depth lineup, Dallas's mini version of that, did help them on the offensive end. Cleveland providing more spacing than Powell. Uh, Finney Smith actually doing a, de- a good job defensively on Aiden and also just being another guy to space the floor for the Mavericks. The problem is, like you said, you know, they do give second-chance opportunities by the Bushels. That's one thing. And defensively, it's another issue because you open up more um, of an angle, I guess, for – uh, bigger guys, you know, to kind of for the Phoenix Suns to kind of go and attack the glass. And so for me, here's the thing. I think that you're not going to be able to stop the personnel of Phoenix. You know, Dallas has some cable defenders. Uh, Phoenix just has some all world folks at the head of the tap. They have some great play finishers like Devin Booker. They have some other adequate shot makers as well. I think the one thing Dallas has to do if they're trying to get this is Put the line about best that will make you do a manageable defense, but also better position you to outscore the Suns. It has to be, in my mind, a shootout of sorts. And I think you're better positioned to do that if you have the Suns stretch out their absolute absolute limit. You know, being able to shoot off a of power doesn't help. When you can rotate Kleba and Finney Smith to the five, um, you know, bring in, of course, these jumble lineups of Luca as well. Um and then maybe even, you know, of course, Spencer Dimming and Jalen Brunson, uh, maybe even roll back and just go uh, multiple guards, you know, for an extended stretch and say, okay, you know what? We're not going to defend y'all on the best way, but let's see y'all constantly have to do pick and roll action, ISO on Luka, and space to floor, and give more of those scenarios that, yeah, the Suns defended it more than capably last night, but more of those situations that Gobert had to find himself in where, hey, you can protect the paint, or stop the three-point shooters, but it's going to be hard-pressed for you to do both. Absolutely. And, and I mean, as we get further into this series, because, again, also, listeners, we're, we're trying not to panic here, but obviously there's some concern with the way that some of the, the trends can tend to go. But when I look at, you know, the fact that the Mavericks go seven deep and the, and the Suns basically go eight deep with a ninth guy playing close to 10 minutes. That was Landry Shammy. He played like right at nine minutes. 
but they have a lot of contributors. And on top of having a lot of contributors, it's almost equal distribution across the board. For the Mavericks, there's a lot of heavy lifting for the actual seven guys that are playing. Um, so we're asking them to perform at a high level, um, to contribute at a high level, while also being able to sustain the amount of minutes that they're playing, which is going to be taxing as well. So my thing is getting the spike games from guys like a Maxi Kleba or like a Spencer Dinwiddie or even a Reggie Bullock, that might happen, but how sustainable is it? And I think it comes back to kind of some of what you've been mentioning in terms of guys having to contribute because there's no, there's no other way. It's like either they're going to do it and they're going to win or they're not going to do it and the series is going to be over fast. So I think that that's also going to come into play as we move forward in this, in this series too, just the war of attrition with guys being, being um, asked to play heavy minutes and asked to contribute uh, heavily. But with that being, is there anyone on the bench that they can play more of that you would feel, I don't want to say comfortable because I don't want to make it seem like, yeah, just play him and let him, let him uh, roam free. But is there someone that you think should get a few more minutes in game two that maybe didn't play as much in game one? That's an interesting question. You know what? I, I mean, I would really advocate. I know that it's kind of a long shot and he hasn't been super great when he has played, but how about some Trey Burke minutes? You know, a mm -hmm. guy who we know can create his own shot a little bit, guy who can at least um, manufacture a mid-ranger, you know, space the floor out adequately enough to three. Uh, maybe get a different look with Marquise Chris and Sterling Brown some. Guys who theoretically hit the three but are still more offensive-minded. Those are the guys I'd look at. First and foremost, Trey Burke, you're already kind of mixing it up, going big, going small, having a lot of guards out there. So give another guy who can definitely tack a closeout, definitely not just give the, the pump fake and go like you would see from a, a Dorian Finney-Smith, but no, like, you know, put him in the mixer a little bit, you know, get to the lane, maybe put some attention at the, at the rim, uh, maybe get some fouls on these guys, you know, someone who can, who can light up uh, in, a, in a quick kind of, I would say in a hurry, he's not that kind of microwave score, but someone who potentially could do that. That's kind of the allure of a Trey Burke, if anything, over the last couple of years in Dallas, that's the hope of what he theoretically could provide from an offensive standpoint. You know what you're getting defensively is not much, but offensively it's like, Hey, if we're trying to stack up all our offensive guys and just get this a good old fashioned, you know, 80s shootout, like let's get the guys who can make some shots, who can manufacture shots. And Trey Burke is one of those guys, I think, that you have on the roster for. So why not? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, at this point, obviously, we're not in desperation mode, but I think it'll be interesting to see how Jason Kidd kind of tweaks what he's doing because he's, because he's been great with the X's and O's and making adjustments in um, in the playoffs so far. And so this game, too, will be interesting to see how he attacks offensively um, because defensively, I'm not sure how much they can do without just conceding that they have to give up something and the something is going to be something that the Phoenix Suns can continue to exploit at a consistent rate, which sucks because they're such a good team. They're ran so well that they could continue to hurt you in areas that you try to give them. Um, so I want to see how Jason Kidd does that on the defensive end. But offensively, I definitely want to see if Jalen Brunson can um, take more threes. Because, again, like I say, I don't know if, how much he's going to be able to play in the mid-levels and, and thrive like he did against Utah. So be ready to shoot. Be ready to knock down shots. He was over one from the three-point line. He only took one shot, and obviously he was in foul trouble uh, most of the first half, and that kind of threw his rhythm off. And, I mean, it would throw any player's rhythm off, especially in such a high, highly contested game. 
Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I think that they there's still reason for optimism because one, I don't think Phoenix is going to shoot as well as they did, although they you can't say that they won't shoot well at all. But geez, it just seemed like they weren't missing shots at <laughs> yep. all throughout this game. And um, and I and I I would tend to believe that Jalen Brunson is going to give us a little more, and um, Spencer Dinwiddie is going to wake up and have a big game or so. And all you need to, to get is one. If they can get this one, they've done their job, right? Like they don't, they didn't have to go there and get two. You keep them yeah. close until the fourth quarter, and in the last four minutes, I mean, who else would you? There's not many other guys you'd rather have in the last four minutes of a one to two possession game than a guy like Luca. He can get the game um, home for you. So that's the hope for me. That's what I think they can do. And again, I think the small ball lineup is something they can they can um, use something that looked to be useful in this game and something they might want to look for uh, moving forward. I agree. I agree. It's it, like you said, it's not total bailout. Everything must go kind of close out deal. It's just, okay. Now you have my attention. We knew this team was going to be good. You throw out a couple of um, kind of ways to switch it up that I hope the Mavericks do take into account already um, independently, just their own coaching staff. And yeah, we'll see if these little um, adjustments here, can help the Dallas Mavericks steal a game in Phoenix, go back to Dallas 1-1, just as designed. Exactly. So <clears throat> thank you guys for listening. That's it. I mean, we there wasn't too much to dig into for this game because, again, it's going to get interesting as it continues to unfold. So please continue to listen, subscribe, download the Sports Ethos Dallas Mavericks podcast, leave a five-star review, leave a one-star review, but let us know how you feel because we're very passionate about this game. We love watching these these teams play. And there's not too many more teams more exciting than these two teams that we're watching right now. Two very well-coached teams with a lot of stars on the floor and a lot of things happening at one time that just makes this series so compelling on so many layers. So um, please continue to follow us on Twitter. That's at Ethos Mavericks. And follow me, my personal Twitter account. That's at LB Said It. That's L-B-S-A-I-D-I-T. Corbin, where can everyone find you as well? I uh, appreciate it, man. Always a pleasure coming on here with you. You can find me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. Uh, Roundball Ramble is a part of our uh, Sports Ethos uh, Podcast Network, so check that out. But also got a bunch of other things cooking on the back burner. So on Twitter at CorbinNBA. Um, and then right here, of course, with Lawrence on uh, Sports Ethos Maps. Absolutely, man. So you guys stay safe out there. Game two, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. We're all going to be there, and we'll be back to break it all down. So talk to you guys soon. Everything else, be safe. Go Mavs.